Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette by Sheward & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with creative business consultant Aileen Bennett. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Aileen Bennett. Welcome to Out to Lunch. On his album, Purple Rain, Prince famously opens his dance party with the lines, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Prince's point is that we're all on our individual journey to find happiness, but we're also in this together. Most of us go about our lives quietly, making our own discoveries and mistakes and hopefully getting wiser as we do. Then there are people like Prince who feel compelled to share their discoveries with the rest of us and that's what creates culture. My lunch guests today are both people who are determined to share their very different Acadian experiences with the rest of us and that sharing has given us the opportunity to both celebrate and change how we live in Acadiana. Toby Rodriguez went to UL, studied industrial design, then became a carpenter, then a butcher, then a celebrant of butchery with a travelling ritualistic boucherie, and lastly found a home for all of his talents by taking over the Acadian Superette in Lafayette. That's where we find Toby today, and the journey is far from over. Toby, welcome to Out to Lunch. Good afternoon. Panat Zanaman is an architect with a prestigious postgrad degree from Columbia University in New York and an architecture, urban design and urban research office in New Iberia. Panat's clients range across the country, but he's also heavily invested in revitalizing and frankly revolutionizing New Iberia through dance, design, public transportation, health and wellness and the economy. His initiatives range from community garden to a bike sharing program and much more. For many reasons, you might expect Panat's compulsion to share would be at best greeted skeptically by a small conservative South Louisiana town. But that's not what's happened in New Iberia. Times are changing and Panat is changing them. Panat, welcome to Out to Lunch. It's a delight to be here. Thank you. Toby and Panat, let me start by asking you both the same question. It's not traditionally the way you might expect to open a discussion about business. It might be more of an Oprah or Tony Robbins type kickoff, but I'm interested in your motivation, and I'll tell you why. What seems to separate successful people from the rest of us is often determination. Lots of us have ideas, but successful people are those of us who actually follow through with them. For example, Toby, instead of saying, why doesn't someone start up a boucherie, you decided to do it. And Panat, you don't say, I wish there was bike sharing in New Iberia. You went out and made it happen. What do you think it is that differentiates you guys from the rest of us, that turns you from observers and commentators into men of action? Madness and obsession? (laughs) (laughs) I think it might be uh, a big part of that, too. Uh, Masochism, (laughs) perhaps. But uh, no. uh, The keys uh, to success. (laughs) Yes, but uh, a really a a passion and a drive to to see the environment around you be be better. And um, if you're going to be in a place and call it your home, why why not make it a place that you would be proud of and be a, a place that 
you wouldn't mind spending the rest of your life in. And so um, New Iberia has really great assets about it and uh, really wonderful culture and people and the friendliness and great food. And, but there are some parts that could use improvement. And when I moved back uh, seven years ago to uh, begin this work of envisioning the berry and trying to improve things, it was all about seeing what the needs are. And there are lots of needs and um, using whatever capacities that I had to make those things happen and um, so that the community could better be better and, so, and the people around me could be happier. And um, there's been something, um, I, I don't know what it is that uh, people, some people call it a calling or... Uh, I think that um, I, I do what I do because I, I love it. I don't think I chose it. I think it chose me in a way. Well, it's Panat, you came back with a deliberate 10-year plan. Yes, I had to, just because I had to put it into the madness at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I would completely burn out. But the, whenever I decided to come back, I knew that I needed, I wanted to try to get sub, some And when I say come back, you were working in New York City. I was in New York City, and I had a brief stint for about a, a year and a half in Bangkok, Thailand. And... Um, spent some time in Thailand before moving back sort of emotionally and mentally spiritually preparing myself to be back in in New Iberia and take on all the work that I'm doing right now which requires a tremendous amount of patience and uh, and determination did you see it differently because you were somewhere else I think I do uh, and I did just having had the opportunity to travel and work in New York City with so many different um, k- kinds of people from different backgrounds, artists and scientists and architects and landscape designers and that, were, that were all thinking about cities and communities. Um, just being able to see all these kinds of projects happen um, all over the world, I would, my mind would also go back to New Iberia. I was like, why couldn't this happen, this same thing, this park or this garden or this, uh, this bike share happen in a place like New Iberia? So I sort of set out to come back and try to find the answers to those, to those kinds of questions. And Toby, you stayed here, but your path was really varied. Being a carpenter led to being a butcher? Explain that one to me. The, the path never really varied. It's all been the same path. It's all um, it's all the same. It's all the same action, just a change in medium. It's the strategy is the same, but the tactics change. It's, it's sculptural. It's all sculptural. It's um, I just went from from you know from a. I mean, I went from working on paper to working with wood to working with meat. I mean, butchering is the carpentry of, of culinary. It's the same tools. It's subtraction techniques. Yeah, I love that analogy. <laughs> it's it, it just it's it, it's all. I went at all three of those things from the same mindset. So you had this kind of uh, what I think of as a nomadic life, kind of from boucherie to boucherie, mm-hmm. and now you've opened a business. And you're in one place. Did you have to open a business? Was it part of the plan? Is it just the best way to make money doing what you love? I'll get back to you <laughs> in a year or so. <laughs> um, it, it just seemed the, um, the best way for me to have a probable future in this industry. Traveling around, doing the boucherie, that was uh, something that I got a lot of self-gratitude 
you know, it, it really, really, really fed my soul. Like I, w- I was teaching other people, exposing them to their own food I, I have a quote I'd like to put in here from the research. Um, this is the first time I've ever seen this in a business model. This is how I describe the boucherie. The day starts out with the killing of a pig in front of a reluctant group of participants. Now, most businesses don't have that kind of setup for the day. Um, and that intrigued me that, number one, that you did it, but also that you voiced it that way. Um, they became less reluctant as the day went on, I'm presuming. Absolutely. Uh, the, I, feel that, I feel like the boucherie kind of does what basic training does to a, to, to a soldier or a, a future soldier. Um, I was in the armed forces for, for a bit, and um, you, you start out that training with them completely breaking you down, bringing you back to a, a very elemental state, and the killing of an animal for people who have worked in that industry for sometimes 10, 15 years and have never, have never seen their actual food source alive then become actual protein. You know, that's, that's something that completely removes all expectations. It removes all egos. And then at that point, they become vulnerable and they're open to the education that I'm presenting to them. Puna, your background's in architecture and urban design. Yes. But everything you do is really just about people. That's certainly is. It's about community. How how do you work? Do you see? Do you have an idea? Do you think? Oh, I'd like bikes. Let me see if there's a need. Or do you notice the need first and then provide a business? I know you've just opened a a store. Yes, a um, a farm stand market within the community. And those, though, every project I do stems from a need that already exists in the community. And I sort of act as the how do you um, find that need do you notice it yourself or do you just listen or do you just become part of the community definitely listening i mean i've i've been a part of the community i grew up in this neighborhood in um um as a child and i sort of recognized what the need was what some of the needs were and then um there was a point whenever i was living in new york city where there were so many um discussions happening within the community and between the community and planners and city officials about how to revitalize. And so they, were, they hired architects and planners to come in. These planners already collected a lot of this data and all these conversations were happening. And I was just following through, following this through newspaper articles and through, through the internet. And, and what, what I did was look at what the work that had already been done in terms of the conversations that had been had and then found common themes within those conversations. So I have to ask the question. I have to I have to ask this. You came back into this community and as a Laotian gay liberal man mm-hmm. Buddhist, how, Buddhist <laughs> and Buddhist let's, let's add that to it as well mm-hmm. how did to you a tr- to a su- traditional southern black majority African American Christian community yes how did you build the trust that allowed them to that took many years many years um, of course did know, they see you as an outsider when you first came back even though you were from there? Yes, and that's the, uh, the that was sort of the issue within there. There's a lot of diversity within Iberia Parish, but the pockets, every group is sort of isolated to its own self, and there was not much cultural exchange happening between the these uh, sort of racial and ethnic groups. And I grew up in that sort of setting, but um, 
you know, the majority is sort of black and white. And so being sort of considered as a foreigner in both of those groups, I was able to sort of move in between them as this kind of ambassador and be kind of treated the same way with uh, in both groups. And so being used to that kind of um, perception and pe how people reacted to the person that I was um, allowed me to navigate those channels in the way that I, as an artist, more, more effectively. And... And so, but then there, there, there takes the trust building. And I would say that took probably three years to go through the motions of getting, accomplishing the projects, saying that I was going to do things and actually follow through and deliver on what I was saying. Both of you definitely have a reputation that if you say you're going to mm -hmm. do it, we, we <laughs> believe you. Yes. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm talking with architect Fanat Zanamine and Toby Rodriguez, best known for his traveling boucherie and as the owner of Acadian Superette. If you're wondering where you know Toby's voice from, it's he did a fairly famous TV show with Anthony Bourdain um, that featured the boucherie. I think of you as the star, but I guess that was really Anthony Bourdain. How did how did that change things for you? It's it changed everything. I mean, it it was the it was the pinnacle moment where. It was. It became uh, something that this this thing that I did that I was really passionate about became an opportunity. It became a possibility. It became um, a career option. I mean, it was immediately after that aired. I was swarmed with requests, like all over the country. Can you come here? Can you come to Alaska? Can you come to Red Hook, Brooklyn? Can you can you come to Charleston? And the answer was always yes. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Every time, like I didn't turn anything down. I, I went wherever I had to, and wherever you, they were hungry for it. Did you, as a business model, know that you were representing Cajun life in, in more of a kind of, I want to say, a both a traditional and modern way, rather than the way it's often depicted on, let's say, some certain reality shows. Well, this happened in the midst of all that, so there was a definite motivation. And, and understand too that this was not just me. No, there, was there a, were a whole, whole. There was a pretty. Yes. There, there was a really close group of friends that were doing this. You know, myself, Joel Sabo, Lindsey Young, Lucius Fontenot, Tony Davern. We were. That was. It's what we did. It's. It's. It's, what, it's how we celebrated our friendship and our camaraderie. Um, it just so happened we, we got noticed by someone who, who could show the rest of the world that the culture here us a people we were we were three-dimensional we weren't as flat we weren't we, we we weren't as we weren't uneducated we were we weren't just um fishermen we weren't just uh, you know we weren't just hunting alligators down here we, we were we were architects we were we were carpenters we were mechanics we were gay we were straight we were, we were all of those things let me ask you both the same question again you mentioned friendship and camaraderie, and we talk about community. If you were to write your business model, how important are those? Are they above financial success? Are they the reason for any financial success? How important are those those people, those soft elements in a business model? I think um, on some levels, you that's more important, having um, a base of people and a, and a strong community to actually have a unified vision to push whatever 
project or initiative forward, that's going to be your most important piece of it, and it'll be the piece that will help it to sustain itself no matter what, even when an economy is down. Because I started this work without any kind of money or connections or whatever, um, you know, but just on a very, very low budget. But you have that ability to make people... I don't want to say follow you, but help you and believe in you and... Right. You want to, um, yeah, you have to ask really nicely <laughs> for people to um, help you. And they see uh, that you're trying to do something good and try, and you're commu- you have to be an effective communicator in terms of getting people on um, to, to follow you in, in helping out the community become a better place. And I know, Toby, with the Acadian Superette, you've kind of brought a new community into an existing community so how how has that feet how has that changed how you do business yeah i feel that um you know of course for a business financial success is um is absolutely necessary um anyone who who starts a new business desires that and wants that but without the community behind you you're i think you're you're just a t-shirt you're not gonna you're, you're you're not going to last till the next period. Uh, it's and also to uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm um, I'm a bad business person for putting it first. But friends, family, community for me has to come first. I mean, I'm 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 feeding a I'm feeding a neighborhood. I'm feeding a community, a small community. It's I I don't think you can fake that. I don't think that you could. I don't think that you could fool the community that that's not your first priority, that their well-being is in you, their first priority. There's, there's, but there's also, for me, there's, you know, there's selfish, selfish notions in that. Like, I f- get fulfillment from it, self-fulfillment from it. Like, it, I, feel, I feel good, I feel whole by, by, by being able to feed people. That's so how was it? it. <laughs> yeah, how was it taking over an existing business that had an existing clientele that wanted one thing, and your vision being slightly different from that? How did you make them happy, or did you and make the new people happy? It was. I was a nervous wreck taking that place over, um, mainly because I'm walking into a very iconic spot, something that. It's one of my favorite buildings. It's, it's something that uh, my predecessor had built a, a fan base uh, of, of people from the neighborhood that depended upon her for, for subsidence. And me coming in with the, the experience that I had and the, and the attention that I had, that had been brought to me, there was, you know, I, some of it was like pretty overwhelming because I was received so openly. Yeah, the whole town. I mean, Facebook that week, everyone was talking about it. And then there was there was some reluctance as well. It's predominantly black neighborhood that is already um, being a bit overrun with hipsters. So there's all there's the, there is like automatically the the um, talk of gentrification, and and anyone who comes in and eats our food should quickly realize that <laughs> Definitely not we're doing the exact opposite. <laughs> we'd like, we're trying to like reestablish that food genre within that neighborhood. You know, I'm, I'm like, it is so food. It's, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just maybe coming from a, just coming from a different skin color, but the same, but the same soul nonetheless. Mm-hmm.
You know, the first month that I showed up to do the work I, I was doing in the West End seven years ago, and the, the, the subject of gentrification came up immediately. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a, it's a, it's a concern that yes. many people have about that. Like, okay, even though I was from the neighborhood, I grew up there, and I'm... So we want things to change and make them better, but we have to include those communities, and it's a really fine balancing act. I think it's um, okay. So, as a people, we have we do have to evolve. We need to evolve to survive. We have to evolve. But it's taking. It's 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 respecting what was there before you. And, and understanding that, as a guest, how can how can I assist? In, in what was there before evolving into what's the next thing. Is the difference is when businesses lead that or when people lead it and businesses follow? Is, is there a difference, do you think, how it's perceived? Or is it the same thing? No, I think there's a, there's a, uh, a difference. And it's the, the narrative is important. And I've learned, I've learned that um, over the past few years, how... Um, particularly in the work that I've been doing, the, the narrative of this sort of somewhat privileged Asian coming back from New York City that and with um, his big big city ideas, with my big city ideas and being able to, you know, reach out and not being black or white and not carrying sort of the the kind of expectations and the burdens that comes with being sort of ingrained into a long history and cultural memory and all the trauma that also is and drama that uh, baggage that comes along with that um, you know people will look at me and be like well of course he, he can do that but what about the people in this community how can we ever try to achieve the same kind of goals so um, you have to be sort of conscious of the narratives that are being put forward but just by your presence in this neighborhood and making sure that this um you're open to having a dialogue about a serious dialogue about um, gentrification and how to prevent that by being more inclusive in in the whole process. But now I have to ask. I know you asked this question. Are you going to run for office? No. Um, this opportunity recently came up. I think uh, just last year, where someone was stepping down from a parish council seat, and they. Had, and a group of people thought I and should everybody looked put my guess. name up for it. And so I was like, you know what? The, you know, I need to just, I never ex- wanted to do this. I wanted to just work outside of, a gover- outside of government as an artist. I just need to see where the universe is going to take me, right? Or if the path is going to take me there. So I put myself forward. And they voted unanimously, unanimously for the other guy. So that gave me a sign that, okay, politics is not my thing. But that just going through the experience of kind of campaigning, even though it wasn't like a true campaign, and giving, getting that taste of um, gover- government politics was not, especially in southern Louisiana, was not my cup of tea at all. And I don't think I would have been effective in that environment whatsoever. Toby, what does the universe have in store for you next? As if you know, <laughs> I guess it. I guess it has in store what I wanted to have in store. Uh, I would. I'd like to. I'd like to see the super ed itself reach its full potential. I'd like to see a working butcher shop feeding fresh meat to an entire neighborhood. 
I'd like to see a market in there with house-made goods. I'd like to improve the health of, the, of that neighborhood. And then I'd like to, I'd like to disappear, go home, <laughs> make some I, furniture. I have the same idea, <laughs> actually. Pro- probably, probably move to Cuba at some point. I love you I was both thinking about that, going to Europe, actually. You both have that beautiful combination of dreamer and realist, and it's just it's No, beautiful. I'm going to write a book, actually, about my uh, the 10-year experience, just so that I leave something behind that university students can that are interested in doing this kind of work and business students that are interested Toby, in doing this kind of work. is there a book in your future? Yes. It's already... It's, in, it's, it's already started. <laughs> Stay tuned for Envision to bury the book and the, the boucherie, Toby's boucherie book. Many of us go to our lives thinking that other than what goes on in our home, we're more or less powerless over most things. Toby and Fanat, your inspirational examples of the power we all have to make a difference in the world. It's a quality that we hear a lot about and we talk a lot about, but it's not often that we meet people that live it. It's been a real pleasure to spend time with you today. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Bon appétit. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Toby Rodriguez, co-owner of Acadian Superette in Lafayette, and Panot Zanamine, principal designer at Panot Zanamine Studio in New Iberia. You can find more about Toby and Panot by following the links on our website, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Café Vermilionville in Lafayette. Café V is open Monday to Friday for lunch and six nights a week for dinner with a courtyard that sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morell. Our researcher is Anne Christian. Our theme song, On Cool Mission Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, itsacadiana.com, and on our It's Acadiana Facebook page. These photos were taken by Lucius A. Fontenot. You can find out more about Lucius at lafphoto.com. You can get this show and past shows as a podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our website, itsacadiana.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Aileen Bennett. Thanks for joining me and I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Sheward & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook, near Carlisle Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is a pet and family-friendly hotel with reception space for large and intimate events, free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants.